Welcome to this week's edition of Eye of the Swarm. He's uh, the big sound, Matt Johnson. I'm John Garver, and I think maybe it would be more apt to actually call this one Eye of the Storm. Yes. Because of what uh, Mother Nature dropped on us in these parts over the last week. Very, um, I heartfully or heart, heartily agree. Man, it's uh, it's really been something. <laughs> it's, I, after five hours of shoveling this, I, I've never seen anything like it. I've lived in this area most of my life, Matt. I've never seen anything like this. It makes me think that I picked the right time to move from my apartment building to the condo where I have underground heated parking. Yes. Because up until June of uh, 2019, I would have been out there as well uh, trying to dig my Jeep, my forlorn Jeep, out of the uh, the pile that is now 23 inches, between 18 and 24 inches of snow, depending on where you were in the Twin Ports. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the images were absolutely incredible. I've I've never seen anything like it. People have been comparing it to the 1991 storm, which was, of course, that's a Halloween storm for those of you right. who are not uh, uh, up on uh, uh, famous blizzards in the Northland here. Uh, that one set the all-time record, but this one was right up there. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what to say. I mean, as we sit here on a Tuesday afternoon of a storm that happened two-plus days ago, we still have most of the school districts are still closed. And right. the reason why is because we cannot get the snow out of here. Yeah. <laughs> like, that is... That is the reason why uh, uh, most of the main drags now in the Twin Ports are now cleared and able to be at least dr- driven upon. But the side streets are still an absolute train wreck. And I don't know when that's going to subside because we got to figure out what we're going to do with all this. Right. And, you know, I was talking with Bob Nygaard yesterday, who is the uh, longtime SID up at the University of Minnesota Duluth. And we kind of both agreed what we need is a fleet of dump trucks to come and take this stuff out of here, and and so we can get back to normal. See, we have to be one big fleet, man. Yeah, exactly, because there's just nowhere to put anything. I mean, right. it's it's you know, it's one thing to plow it, but what you got to realize is when you plow something, it's got to go somewhere. Yeah, and we don't have any room to put it anywhere. Right. So, <laughs> you know, it, it's 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 a thankless job those guys are doing right now. They're working on 24-hour shifts trying to clear all this out. And I know people are upset, but this is a historical event in terms of, of, of a snow dump. I've never seen this many. I mean, usually we'll get – it's not un, un, you know, unusual for us to get somewhere between 12 and, what, 18 inches of snow in a, you know, in, a, in a single storm. But when you start getting up to the 18 to 24 and the full two feet, you're starting to talk about some extra logistical issues. And, God, it's just our turn, I guess, to have to deal with those. Well, and it, it wasn't just the, the, the actual snow dump itself because you know, I – it, it, for me, I have a big enough yard and enough place where I can, if I'll figure out a way to to get it, right where it's out of the way, but it's it's the weight of it. Yeah, it's this really is heavy. heavy snow, and with the drifting and everything, it is packed. Yeah, and it is heavy, and I yeah, the, it's the heavy I, white I, snow. I must live in in the city of Superior's wind tunnel because I look at the house across the street from me, and he's got his little one foot that he shovels off his sidewalk and he's done and back in his house in a half hour. And I'm going, I got four feet out here. Yeah. The front of my house had four feet after the plow came by yesterday. Well, I feel like in, in, with the location, knowing the location of your house, you're in a tough spot because you're close enough now to the marina and also to Barker's Island where you do get that kind of shearing wind that goes side to side and it blows stuff around. And it just is <laughs> like, you know, that you're, you know, that's tough. You know that I mean that's a bad spot to be in a, in a situation like this. Um, there are advantages to it during the summer. There are a lot of disadvantages to it during the winter when you get these kind of big snow dumps. Right. And so you're right in the middle of that. 
yeah. that little wind tunnel that's on that side. No, it, and, it is. And it's, yeah. it's just my side of the street, which is strange to me, how the other side of the street is not affected by it, but my side is. And it's, it's really like me and half of my neighbor yeah. is, is all that, that gets all of this every single time it snows. We, we always consistently have more snow than anybody else on the block. Well, and and I mean, there's another angle of this from your, and I, this is where I feel sorry for you because, and I did, should make sure you note this because I probably <laughs> will never say this to you again. Um, knowing what your travel schedule was going to be, yeah, with men's hockey, which of course we'll talk about in a moment here when we go through the recap. But yeah. um, driving through the night, what was how long was, was the drive from Pittsburgh? You know, it wasn't bad. It was it's okay. only about 14 hours. Okay, so it's it's not a really bad trip at all. Okay, but to get back. Yeah. After driving through the night to come back to this. Yeah. <laughs> where we get into a situation where the bus can't make it to Westman. Right. They literally just toss you guys out and then have to go somewhere. Well, we, the... no, we drove around a little bit. Okay. Because we, you came into town on 28th Street right. and we get to Catlin Avenue and we're like, well, that's definitely not plowed. And I can't believe that guy in the SUV didn't see that because now he's stuck out in front of the arena. Oh, of course. So... You could clearly see this was not plowed. So, okay, that's not a way the bus can get in. So we went further down 28th. Okay, there's no parking lot access there. So we go all the way down to Hammond Avenue, and we swing it around thinking maybe Catlin is open coming the other way. We come down Belknap. No, we're not getting in there at all. Ended up doing a big lap and coming back to the intersection of Catlin and 28th and everybody just piling off the bus and walking to the rink. Left all the equipment on the bus, right? Yeah, and just kind of like, well, this well, is this is what we're going to have to do because we can't get the bus in here, right? Yeah, and, and I, well, and, and the difficulties are not just for you guys; it's also for the bus himself. I mean, he's got to find somewhere to go, right? You know, and, and, and for him at the time, the interstate between Duluth and Cloquet was closed, right? And yeah. LCS coaches, the bus company we use is out of Cloquet, right? So they had no way to even get the bus back up there, right? Yeah. So so it, he had to find somewhere to go. Yeah. You guys had to find somewhere to go. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's... And, yeah. we, had, and we had two drivers because on that distance, right, you're, for that you're number of hours, law. you have to have two people. Re- you're required by law. So I think they went and got a hotel room so they could both sleep. Okay. And then when everything settled down a little bit and the interstate opened up, they could take the bus back up the hill. But right. Yeah. I just... It, it, yeah. It was... I've I've always... I kind of had this in my mind that it's not going to be as bad as they're going to say because they've they've given us the sometimes it's been the a snow tsunami, the yeah. snow apocalypse, you know, all those things that they they label these storms as. Okay, they are they've done plenty of the eighteen to twenty inches, and you get six, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, and they'll say, "Oh, the storm just missed us." So in my mind, I'm going, "Okay, this isn't going to be as as bad as as they're out there saying because it never is." And let's just say the the name Ezekiel because of Winter Storm Ezekiel is not at the top of my list anymore. Because no, Zeke brought everything and then some yeah, with this one. I was about to go into that. I mean, whether you wanted to call it uh, Snownami or Stomageddon or uh, Winter Storm Ezekiel, as it was given the proper name right. by the weather authorities. Um, boy, I, I you know <laughs> we have we don't get as much lake effect here as other places do, but this one just swirled. Yeah. And uh, we were watching the radar. Every time we'd wake up on the bus, we'd pop the radar open and go, "Oh God, it's not moving. It's still there." Yeah, I mean, it's still there. My neighbor's texting me, going, "You're not going to believe this when you get back. Yeah, it's really bad." I mean, my family came up for Thanksgiving, and I hosted this year, and they were supposed to leave on Saturday, and they just left yesterday morning. Yeah, because there was nowhere for anyone to go. Yeah, everyone was stranded exactly where they were. Where they were. 
Um, and you had you would have had to have had rocks in your head to try to go out and drive around on that. Right. Um, so I think for the most part, everyone stayed where they were supposed to stay. Um, but I heard a report out of the Twin Cities that they had 300 crashes statewide and 22 jackknifed semis. 22 semis got jackknifed. That's crazy. Throughout the state. Wow. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, and you got to be clear, jackknife semi doesn't happen all the time. No. Like that, that, I mean, semis will go off the rails. I actually saw one when I was in Colorado Springs on a road trip with my mom got blown over by a gust of wind. I mean, so things like that, weird little things like that. But 22 of them, I mean, you might see one jackknife semi once every, you know, so often. 22 of them in I'm one day. I'm trying to think of the last one I saw, and I think it was the last time I made a trip with, trip with the hockey team. Okay. And that okay. was 2013 okay. when we went out east because we saw one on that trip. Okay. Because that was another trip where you get ran into, we yeah. ran into some weather. Yeah. But I mean, it it uh, it's incredible. I don't know what else to say about it. I mean, I I just I just sat outside and I just watched it happen around me, and it was just it was pretty crazy. Um, I know some people also lost power. We did not. Uh, I did not either. I yeah. was very fortunate. I know yeah. Steve Kirk, who runs Westman, he told me he lost his power. Okay, and it had been off for when it finally came back on. I think he was down for about seven hours. Oh wow! Okay. And his, his house had gotten down to I think fifty three degrees. Oh wow! Yeah. Shout out to Kirky. Well, that that's a tough one. Yeah, that that's rough. That's yeah, rough. That's rough duty. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, you got no power. You got nothing. No, you're you're stuck in your house because of the blizzard. Yeah. I mean, that's he's literally living in a cave. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, it's a man-made cave. Yep. That's what it is. You yeah. know, at that point. So, uh, well, next time I see him, I'm gonna have to give him a pat him. on the back. And yeah, I say for, for enduring. I all heard. That. Yeah. Because I told him, I, I said, well, you've got the key to my house, so if you want to go over there, I have power. Go ahead. And he's going, yeah, I don't think I can make it. No, it's that bad here. Yeah, so. like, yeah. I mean, it, it was, it's incredible. And the side streets, like I said, are still not cleared. And yeah. I don't know when they're going to get cleared. I don't think anyone really knows. Right. So, well, th- this was historic. Yep. Absolutely. So you know, we we don't know the answers to this stuff because it, it, it doesn't happen here very often. No. No. This goes right up there with the plant explosion. Right. Where nobody knows what's going on. Right. You know. So, so. all new territory for us. Yep. But what's not new territory? We got we got some sports. Yeah. Let's talk had- about that. A lot of winter sports in action. All four teams had multiple games. Um, some also, by the way, had games that were postponed. We'll talk about that Indeed. in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> As a result of you-know-what. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'll start out at the uh, with men's basketball. They're 2-4 and four now overall. They've lost their last three. Uh, they fell to UW-River Falls 98-72 to at Don Page Arena in River Falls on Thursday, November 21st, before the Thanksgiving break, before following UW-Stevens Point 69-53. Also, before the break. That was on Tuesday, November 26th. That game was played at the Merch in Superior. That game against River Falls got out of hand pretty quickly. Uh, that was a 51-34 deficit for the Yellow Jackets at halftime. They shot 40.9% for the game, although Falcons shot over 60%. They were 60.6%. For that contest, Vid Milinkovic had 16 points, 7 out of 10 shooting for him. The freshman from right here in Superior, Mason Ackley, had 12 points. He had a couple of good games, actually, in that run. 4 for 10 shooting for Mason, and then uh, Mac Rechtdahl. 11 points in that loss against the Falcons, and then the Yellow Jackets following up against uh, traditional national power, not just WAG power, but traditional national power, Stevens Point. 69-53, that loss at the Mertz. I didn't make it over for that game, so I didn't get a chance to see it. But uh, We were already on the road. So. Yeah, so I don't know if anybody really saw much of the game. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't, don't anticipate there was a large crowd for that. No, I don't think so. Because they had already canceled Wednesday classes at that point. Yeah. And I think people, if they knew they could get out ahead of the storm, the first right. one, there was two last week. Well, women's hockey had a game that if day that got postponed. That so, one got postponed, yeah. yeah. So, so I, I was surprised Stevens Point made it, but it was because they were on the other side. 
they were coming in from a different angle. Right. So that's why that game was played. Pointers led 46-22 at the break. Yellow Jackets outscored. UW Stevens point 31-23 in the second half, but by then it was, of course, too late. The Yellow Jackets ended up losing it to go to 2-4. and four. UWS made 41.2% of their shots, while the Pointers made 50%. Mason Ackley with another double-figure scoring game. 11 points, 4 for 5 shooting. Vid Malikovic, 10 points, 5 for 10. And the Jackets now get in this uh, conference play uh, this coming weekend. We'll talk more about that in a second here. Women's basketball, 2-4 and four overall as well. They lost their last two, although those two losses I can't really fault them for. Mm-hmm. Um, those were really tough games to play on the road. Phil now the number six ranked team in the country. He's had a yeah, really, really tough difficult sc- schedule. Yeah, he scheduled ambitiously this year. Wow. Uh, losses now who was ranked number six in the country, St. Thomas. They were number nine when the Jackets played them. 78-60, to 60, which really isn't that bad of a loss, all things considered. I thought they actually did some good things in that game. That game was played on Wednesday, November 20th at the Schenecker Arena in St. Paul. I was on the road with them. That's how I know that. Uh, before falling to St. Ben's the next day at Claire Lynch Hall in St. Joseph, Minnesota, 66-59. to They had a chance to win that game. That was a game that they could have won if they had made a few more plays. just didn't happen, and they ended up losing by seven to the Bennies. But games with the Blazers are always pretty tight. Yeah. Uh, the one game last that, year's was the exception. Yeah, last year's was the exception with the Jackets beating by 25. But uh, n- not, you know, for two losses, I thought they actually showed some really good stuff in those two games. Uh, against St. Thomas, UWS trailed 22 to nine after one, so a tough start. They rallied a bit in the second quarter and were down only by 10 at the break, and 40 to 30. But then St. Thomas came out and hit them pretty hard in that third quarter, outscored them 23 to 14, and ended up winning it by 19 going to the fourth quarter. UWS actually played well. Offensively, 46.2% shooting, which is pretty good against that Tommy team. But St. Thomas just refused to miss shots that game. They were shooting over 70% for most of that game. They ended up dipping under 70% in the final minutes. They ended up making 30 out of 45 shots for the game as a group. That's incredible. And they had 23 assists. I mean, it was uh, was textbook. And as a broadcaster, they're just so well-drilled in everything that they're trying to do. I mean, they know exactly where they're going, what they're trying to accomplish, and what their their offensive – you know, philosophy is going to be where it needs to go. And in the first half, it was in the post, and in the second half, it was to the corners for threes. And they, I mean, they they just they just work it to death, and they break you down. They use the entire thirty five seconds, and they just they find your weakness and they exploit it. I wow. mean, they're really well coached. One of the better coach teams I've seen. Even so, Eva Reinerson led the way for the Jackets. She had fifteen points, seven out of thirteen shooting. Patrick Scott had a good game, thirteen points, six for nine shooting. So good efficiency there, to say the least. And Emily Carpenter had 11 points. She was 4 for 10 overall from the field, but had half of her six three-point shots. So that's where her points came from in that contest. And then against St. Ben's, this was a game, like I said, they had a good chance to win that game. Uh, UWS trailed 13-10 to 10 after one, then kind of had a tough second quarter. They got outscored 21-15, trailed 34-25 at the break, and then rallied back in the second half, made it very tight down the stretch. They trailed 53-46 to 46 after three, came within four, couple of times, came within three once in the final quarter. So they had every chance to come back and win that game. And they had possession a couple of times also to try to get back into that game, make it a little bit closer, but they just didn't make enough plays on the stretch. UWS shot 40% for the contest, while the Blazers made 42.9% of their attempts. Eva Reinerson had a slow start, but ended up really coming on in the second half. She ended up with 20 points on 9 for 18 shooting. Emily Carpenter, 16 points, 6 out of 13. She had half of her eight three-point shots, so she continues to shoot well from outside. And Pasha Scott had 11 points and eight rebounds. And she played a lot of that game with four fouls, especially in the second half. But uh, some good things there uh, in both those games. Hopefully they'll be able to carry that over as they begin conference play this week as well. Women's hockey, 4-1-1 overall, 2-1-0 in the WIAC. They've won two straight, and they scored a whole pile of goals 
in their last two games. 16 goals in the last two outings for the Yellow Jackets combined. Defeated Northland College 10-2 to on Friday before downing UW-Stevens points 6-3 to on Saturday. That was a really impressive win. I saw that game, and you did it on the radio. Yeah, the, the Friday game against Northland, oh my goodness. I, that, that was 3 nothing before you could even blink. Yeah. You know, they, they came out and they scored on, I know their first two shots, maybe their first three. It was 5 nothing, and everybody was happy they were getting custard before the end of the first period. I mean, <laughs> and, and it's the, the, the thing is, you looked at, look at the stats for Northland as a team coming into that game, is they had given up 18 goals. And All I, year. In yeah. six, six or seven games at that point, 18 goals. And then they give up 10 yeah. in that one. I mean, that was an anomaly, and that that was the, the snowball started rolling down the hill, and they just couldn't stop it. Right, yeah. Kaylee Martinson, Amanda Sargent. Jenna Curtis each scored two goals for the Jackets, while Cassie McClure, Kaylee Wood, Hannah Magnuson, and CC Hayes also also found the back of the net for the L Jackets. UWS 37-22 edging shots. Catherine Johnson had 20 stops, pick up the win. And then the next night against UW Stevens Point, UWS scored twice in the first period and four times in the second to beat the Pointers six to three. Ashley Shintz. This was the game of unassisted goals. Yes. Now <laughs> I never see anything like it. <laughs> Every goal I've never anything like it. that the L Jackets scored except for one was unassisted. Ashley Shintz, Ashley Shintz, excuse me, at 3:58 of the first period. Kaylee Wood, with helpers from Amber Heidenreich and Molly Shelton at 10:39 of the first period. That was it for the assist for the day. Goals from Amanda Sargent at 1:21 the second period. That was a shorty. Jenna Bufflin at 5:03 unassisted on the power play, which is really tough to do. Uh, Kaylee Martinson. It is, but it's not. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> not made very many power play you, you, goals. You, where get, you don't. <laughs> you get the puck out of turnover. Yeah, I, you know, it's, you know, it just I guess you know. I mean, just don't <laughs> see many of them. And then Kaylee Martinson uh, scored uh, two straight goals unassisted. One at six thirty four of the second period, and then Kaylee scoring her second goal of the game in eighteen twenty nine of the second period. Jackets actually didn't score in the third period in that game, but held a thirty seven to eighteen edge in shots. Catherine Johnson, fifteen saves, and an anomaly. They're off this week, which is weird. Anyway, they also had a game against. Uh, it's not though. It's not though. No, because he he always gives them time around Thanksgiving. Okay, that's it's not rare at all for Dano to give his team okay. at least Thanksgiving weekend off, if not two weeks in there, right, to get away from that. They had a game actually also that was postponed in there. We didn't talk about that. They were supposed to play the number four ranked team in the country, Gustavus. Yep. Uh, on the twenty sixth, that was that Tuesday that was where Tuesday the night. men's basketball turned uh, played uh, UW Stevens Point. Yep. That game got postponed because I don't think Gustavus could have probably gotten out of St. Peter that day. They. The originally there was a seven o'clock faceoff, and they had reached out and said they wanted to play at three. Okay, um, and leave them enough of a travel window, and you know, and if it was wasn't going to be three o'clock, they weren't going to do it. Um, and then ultimately, when it got to Tuesday morning, their athletic director said, "You know what? I I don't like this. Let's let's not do it at all." Yeah, because they had already canceled their basketball doubleheader with Concordia for the Tuesday. Okay, and those were home games. Okay, and he just said, "I I don't want my athletes out there." No, it's a four-hour um, drive on the best that, of circumstances, and that was the right call. Yeah, that was I, I right, would agree. That was the right call. So yeah, that one got postponed. Uh, make update on that is February eighteenth. Okay, okay, and then we got to men's hockey, where they were really busy. They played the most games of everybody. They played four since we last spoke here on the podcast. Fell number who was ranked number five at the time, UW Eau Claire three to two in overtime on Friday, November twenty second. Feels like a long time ago now. I know it does. Yeah. And then defeated in the number three, what who were ranked number three at the time. Ranked in defending national champions, UW Stevens playing four to two on Saturday. Both those games, that was the twenty third of November. Both those games at Westman Arena. And then they hit the road, or what we have already touched on a little bit due to the winter storm. 
taking on Chatham in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. A couple of road games there, five to one and three to one. The Yellow Jackets swept. I think the Cougars is their nickname. Is yep. it? Yep. Yep. They're the Chatham Cougars on uh, Friday the 29th, and then Saturday the 30th at Frozen Pond Arena in Valencia, Pennsylvania, which I guess is a, probably a suburb of Pittsburgh. Is that what it is? Um, no, it's not even really a suburb. Really? You know, they. Uh, well, I want to say that their campus is. 45 minutes to an hour from the rink they play at. Oh, really? Yeah, because they, they, they were talking about how the, the players all live in the dorms there, and they take a shuttle every day. Oh, wow. From the dorm to the arena, they practice at 7 o'clock in the morning, and they, they take a shuttle every day to get there. Wow. Yeah. That's a rough go. Yeah, it, it really is not an ideal setup at all. No. Um, to, ha- to have to travel that much just to get to a practice. Yeah, 45 yeah. minutes one way just to get to your – well, yeah. that's a rough deal. Yeah. Back and forth. I mean, how much class I'm – ugh, I can't imagine. Anyway, uh, against UW-Eau Claire, the Jackets scored their goals in the second and third period. Game featured – this was the game where the penalties got a little out of whack. 24 penalties for 62 total minutes. Um, you called the game, John. <laughs> I know. You you came down after the game. I remember uh, when we talked in the lounge after the game, you said something to the effect of, I've never seen anything quite like this before. It was – it was the cleanest 24 penalty game I've ever seen. And typically <laughs> when you see a score sheet and go, wow, 24 penalties, that means there was a brawl. Yeah, That means exactly. something significant happened. And this was the cleanest 24 penalty game I'd ever seen. They they didn't they, they got a little ticky-tack in there, and they didn't have to do that. No, they blew the whistle a lot. I mean, did. I was and there, there that and night. And there, there was thing, it, I don't know if they felt like they had to try to keep things in order or what, but there, there was nothing – to signal that it was getting out of order. No. They just kept calling penalties, and yeah. it was... No, it, nothing... You, you go yeah. from having eight total penalties called on your team in your first weekend of play to 13 in yeah. each of the next two games, because they had yeah. 13 the next night against Stevens Point, too. Right, yeah. It's... What's going on here? Yeah. What's going on here? It's a little bit the, of a consistency, inconsistency here. The didn't here. change that much right, yeah. from one week to the next. And right. to all of a sudden have all those penalties called, it, it it it's unfortunate because it it had the makings of being a really good, good hockey game. game. Yeah. Um, and I, you never really could tell how these two teams stacked up against each other because there wasn't enough five on five play. Yeah. They didn't spend enough time in even strength. Somebody was always on the power play yeah. in the second half of those periods. And I say it that way specifically because in the first period, there was one penalty called in the first 10 minutes. Right. In the second period, there was one penalty called in the first 10 minutes. In the third period, there was two penalties called in the first 10 minutes. And then after the midpoint of every period, there was this avalanche of penalties. Yeah. And you just you couldn't get a feel no. for, for what was going on. And it's unfortunate because I, I, I said on the air, I said it the next night when I interviewed Coach McKenna, I'll say it now, when we were playing at even strength, I thought we were the better team that night. Right, yeah. And we were the getting the better of the opportunities that night. Right. And it, the rug kind of got pulled out from underneath this team every single time because those penalties started popping up. Well, and I can't believe that the Eau Claire folks were especially pleased either. I can't imagine that No, you were, had two angry yeah. coaching staffs there going, yeah. we didn't really get to play tonight. Yeah. I mean, they're, yeah, they're, the, the amount of five-on-five five time was very, very limited. Yeah. Um, UWS scored their goals uh, at 59 seconds of the second period. Dylan Johnson with the goal from Chad Lopez and Lawson McDonald. That made it a, I think, 1-1 game at that point, wasn't it? Was it 1-1? Yeah, that tied it up. Okay. And then the Yellow Jackets scored the tying goal because they were down 2-1. At 11-14 of the third period, Chad Lopez unassisted. And that was also a goal that was questioned for a, for a second, and I don't know why. 
Is that or was no, that, that the next was, night? That was the next night. That was the next night. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that ended up tying it up at two. Then we went to overtime, and UWO Claire's Jake Bresser scores the game winner at two thirty six of overtime. Shots for the game, UWS had the edge there, 35-32. Oscar Svensson for the L Jackets had 32 stops. It was actually the other way around. Was it? Eau Claire had the edge. Did they? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. UWS was outshot. I should have read my own notes. 35-32. Uh, Oscar Svensson had 32 stops. And then the next night against U- no, uh, number three, or who were number three, UW Stevens Point. Hill Jackets went at 4-2. to UWS scored once in the first period and three times in the second. Liam Blaze scored the first two for the Jackets, one at 5-17 of the first from Charles Martin and Colton Bates. Then it was Blaze scoring his second goal of the game, 6-31 into the second period from Bates. Troy York getting his first goal of the season after being inserted in the lineup for the first time in 2019-20. Off an assist from Artur Turchiev at 9-43 the second period. That made it 3-1, and then it was Chad Lopez for the L Jackets. Where his goal, I there was a conversation about that one. That was the one that went into the upper corner and then came out of the net. Uh, it was unassisted at 14.55 of the second period, and it uh, gave the Jackets, I think, a 4-1 to lead at that point. Wasn't it 4-1? to Yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought for the game. Uh, and then the uh, pointer scored one in the third, I think. They made the t- final 4-2. to UWS held a 30-28 to edge in shots. Oscar Svensson, 26 stops for the Jackets. Nice split, though. I mean, a really good showing for the most part. I mean, coming off that game against Eau Claire, it was nice to see the guys bounce back against yeah. the fending champs. Yeah, no, it, it yeah. absolutely was. It was very nice for them to to not lament that loss too mu- too long yeah. and, and come back out and play a really solid game. I thought they played really well. Yeah, they played yeah. really well against Stevens Point. Um, you know, and again, they were ranked three at the time. Um, then they dropped to six after the loss to us. And even after the getting swept at home this past weekend, they're still ranked in the top 15. Oh, wow. You know, Eau Claire was yeah. five at the time, and now they're number one. Are they? They're the number okay. one team in the country right now. I thought so, they were the better team, to be honest with you. Though. Yeah, I think they're the better team there as, yeah. as well. But, yeah, they were, they're ranked number one in the nation now. So, you know, it, it just kind of shows where where this team stacks up with the best teams yeah. in the country. It, 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 it's bizarre, though, when you look at the poll, how heading into that particular weekend, the Jackets had two two votes. Right. And to do what they did only got them up to seven. Oh, wow. And they dropped in the pairwise. How did that happen? From eight to 14. I don't get that at all. I don't either. I don't either. The pairwise is up, so that specifically does not happen. Right. And somehow... <laughs> Playing two top five teams in the nation and beating one of them forced them to drop six spots in the pairwise. It doesn't make any sense. No. Even in, uh, after the weekend, this past weekend with the two wins at Chatham, they they still they lost a vote in the poll, and they dr- dropped two more spots in the pairwise. I understand that a little bit because you just you beat a team that is now one and nine. Yeah, that's what to say. Yeah. So I understand how that can work a little bit, but it's like this is a five and one team that's gone and stared down, you know, two of the best teams in the nation and can't get any traction in the poll whatsoever. That's how I felt about UWS women's basketball last year. Yeah, when exactly. they finished up. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, we dropped. We were as high as eighth, I think, in the regional poll and didn't lose any games. In fact, we won convincingly. Avenged the loss against the team that had beaten us. Yep. In Bethany Lutheran, and we dropped out of the top ten somehow. Yeah. It's it's just bizarre. I don't get it. I don't get it either. Yeah. It, I we didn't get it last year. We don't get it now. No. I mean, it just is what it I is. I don't have to. Yeah. Exactly. It's not my job. UWS, by the way, uh, going back to that game against Chatham when they hit the road to uh, Pittsburgh, won the opener five to one on Friday as we talked about. Scored 
once in the first period, and then it stayed 1-1 up until the third period, although the Jackets piled up shots. We'll talk about that in a second here. A lot of shots of the Jackets on that game. Liam Blaze continued to score goals. This is his third in two games. Scored uh, the Yellow Jackets' first goal at 240 the first period off an assist from Troy McTavish, and then I think they scored, and it was 1-1 after one. Then played a scoreless second period, and then the Yellow Jackets exploded a bit offensively in the third period. John Pace scoring, I think, his first goal as Yellow Jacket yep. in his career. From the two Martins, Jordan Martin and Charles Martin. Jordan Martin, by the way, interesting stat line on him. He seems to be content to get a lot of helpers this year. <laughs> uh, 46 seconds into the third period on the power play. That proved to be the game winner. Troy York finding the net two more times for the Yellow Jackets. He scored the last two goals, or two of the uh, last three goals for the Yellow Jackets, two of them in a row. Scored at 2.18 of the third period. Off an assist from Austin Friesen and Chad Lopez. That made it a 3-1 game. York again at 8.01 of the third period from, again, Jordan Martin and Andrew Durham. And then rounding out the scoring for the Jackets, Colton Bates. Off an assist from Bruno Berzaitis at 18.44 to make the final 5-1. Yell Jackets piled up 52 shots, 52-22. to 22. And Miles Hector getting his first Yellow Jacket victory in goal. Made 21 stops. And then the next night, Jackets scored twice in the first period and once in the second period. That was all it took. Bruno Berzaitis scoring at 5.51 of the first. Off assist from Colton Bates and Connor Hamannick. Andrew Durham for the Yellow Jackets netting the UWS's second goal. 18.30 of the first period. Off assist from Jordan Martin and Connor McLean. And then Levi Cudmore in the second period rounding up the scoring for the Jackets. Off an assist from Berzaitis at 14.26 to make it a 3-1 final. UWS held a 36-30 edge in shots. Oscar Svensson back in goal. Made 29 stops for the Yellow Jackets in that contest. So... Back uh, to back wins, nicely done, and then come back home and uh, <laughs> deal with the snowstorm. Deal with the storm. Yep. Uh, and before we go here and uh, get on with our uh, our uh, interview guest for this week, men's and women's tennis hired a new coach. By the way, mm-hmm. CJ Schaffner is the new head coach of the Yellow Jacket men's and women's tennis team. He replaces Colin Dean, who resigned in October. Schaffner had served as the assistant coach and recruiting coordinator for North Central Illinois and helped the Cardinals to a forty-two and sixteen record in his time on staff there. He played his college tennis at NCAA Division III Concordia, Wisconsin, where he earned 41 singles victories, posted a 51-39 and 39 record in doubles. He was a two-time conference champion and a three-time all-conference selection in the Northern Athletics Collegiate Conference. So welcome to him. Hopefully we'll get him on at some point. We'll get him on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, his first official day on campus was yesterday. Okay, so, so he's I a, think his first official day then is today. Okay, <laughs> welcome. Because <laughs> I don't think he could get to campus yesterday. Yeah, I'm about to say welcome in. Uh, then, enjoy uh, moving in this. Right. And then uh, some, uh, some additional uh, honors for the men's soccer team after their outstanding season. Our interview guest, by the way, this week, Eric Watson, along with Blake Perry and A.J. Olson, reached team United Soccer Coaches Division Three North Region third team for the 2019 campaign and an academic award as well for Mr. Watson, who we'll hear from in a couple minutes here. So very nice. Cosida All-American. Mm-hmm. Academic All-American. Academic All-American. Yep. Fifth one so. in school history. I know it's been a uh, busy couple of weeks. We were off the air for a little bit here, but uh, we're back, and that's everything that happened in that's between. That's plenty. Yeah. That's plenty. So we'll take a break, and when we come back, we'll be joined by the aforementioned Eric Watson from the Yellow Jacket men's soccer team. You are listening to this week's edition of Eye of the Swarm, sponsored by Barker's Island Inn. Sports broadcasts on 91.3 FM are made possible in part by National Bank of Commerce, a catalyst for growth in our region for over 80 years with locations in Superior, Duluth, Hermantown, Poplar, and Solon Springs. More at NBCBanking.com. We make more possible. Member FDIC.
We're back on this week's edition of the Eye of the Swarm, and we are joined by the newest Casita Academic All-American men's soccer senior, Eric Watson. And, you know, Waddy, let's cut to the chase first before we get into anything else. You're Canadian. You've got to be used to this, this kind of snow, yes or no? You know what, Garbers? I mean, years past I've had a lot of snow, but I have to admit, driving back from the cities for uh, Thanksgiving with one of my a couple of my friends, it was definitely a, a shock seeing that much snow. And, you know, even for a Canuck as experienced as I it was uh, it was pretty eye opening. Uh, I don't think I've seen the streets disappear so uh, lined with snow in uh, in my four years. But uh, I mean, I, I think in my in my younger years, I think there was a lot of snow in Thunder Bay, or the Bay as we like to call it, or T Bay for uh, those folks back home. But uh, I think another difference is when you're a, a little kid, uh, the snow banks always seem a little bit bigger. I think if you would have gone home for the holiday, you'd still be up there. I don't know if there's any way you could have gotten down Highway 61 with this. You're probably right, but you know what the thing is, too, is uh, like Thunder Bay actually doesn't have a whole lot of snow right now, which is strange. But um, the Trans-Canada Highway was closed either side of Thunder Bay, um, so I think I think uh, east and west got hit pretty hard. So now we started on the whole Canadian thing. Let's, let's branch out on that a little bit. I, I think people probably don't know. The, the one thing that I was really surprised about you is no hockey at all, no skating at all, not, not your thing. And that's really surprising for somebody who grew up in Canada because it's such a big part of the culture there. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll make my—I'll give myself a little bit of a plug. I do know how to skate at least. Okay, uh, good. I'm not—I'm not a total failure to my uh, country, <laughs> but uh, no, I, I think a big part of it is like my my family's heritage. My dad's side of the family is Anglo-Indian, and my dad's from England himself, and, and my grandparents immigrated to to England from India, and so. Uh, I think some of that is just the cultural aspect, um, and my dad was a biathlete, so my first sport was cross-country skiing. Um, my cousins actually are both quite high-level cross-country skiers uh, at the moment. Um, I just wasn't as good at them, so I uh, decided to kind of jump ship and go to something that I was better at. Um, but you know, it's it's kind of crazy, especially the fact that, you know, Thunder Bay is such a hotbed for, for hockey itself. You know, you've got players like Patrick Sharp, the Stahl brothers, you know, coming from our hometown, it, you know, I think almost every guy I went to high school with, bar maybe myself and my cousins, played hockey. And so I was kind of that odd guy out growing up. But, um, you know, it's I've, I think I've kind of reaped the benefits of being kind of an, a specialist from Thunder Bay. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I honestly can't tell you. I don't know if <laughs> I wouldn't class my, classify my parents as failures of Canadian <laughs> parents. <laughs> because they didn't put me in hockey but you know I guess that's just how the cookie crumbles sometimes was cross-country skiing your winter sport then yeah but I mean realistically like Thunder Bay is a really big cross-country city um, in general and so it's a, it's a bit of a hotbed it's got a national development center um, so the Canadian Games Complex Canada Games Complex Sorry. but um, no actually that's that's kind of just uh, more for like swimming and okay and kind of a bit of a gym but the gym itself is a little bit aged but um it was it was basically a full year full year deal being a cross country skier. Um, you got a couple months off, but a lot of dry land in the in the uh, in the summer and the in the spring. But um, I just couldn't put up with the grueling nature of training. And uh, I think honestly, though, I think it's helped me in in terms of being a soccer player. I think it's helped my my mentality and kind of that that grittiness that's got to come with it. So so the soccer thing then comes along because of your father's heritage, and that was kind of. A driver in in you playing that, or was it more organic than that? Of yeah, I think it. I think it had a bit of an impact. Um, having family still back in England, I think it was. But honestly, uh, I think there was enough 
I think 2004, 2005 was when I started kind of getting into, I had always played soccer, you know, the little, little kickers kind of, kind of leagues. But, um, I think the Euro 2004 came around and I kind of latched onto one specific player. And, and from then on, it kind of, because my grandfather watched and whatnot, um, I was kind of fed a little bit more than, than hockey. Um, I've never actually really ever had a favorite hockey team, but, um, I, I would say it's a mix of both a little bit of heritage, a little bit of like just natural formation of the drive and the passion for the sport. But when did you know that you were going to be able to play this at a higher level? Well, I have to admit, uh, Matt and, and, and John, that I, I really struggled with that for a while because coming from Thunder Bay and it being a hockey town, really there's not a whole lot of identification, even within Ontario, for soccer players in the north, as we would call it, right? Northern Ontario um, or northwestern Ontario to be more specific. But So it was always a struggle. Like I, I, For a lot of time, I didn't know really where I was in terms of that ability level. Um, I think when it really kind of hit was, I, I think it was grade 10, I had a, a trial um, at an academy in England. Uh, at the time, they were in the Premier League. They've fallen off a little bit now, Reading, uh, Reading FC. But um, and, and I expected to go there, if I'm being completely honest, to get blown out of the water. But um, after a week, you know, it was quite eye-opening. You know, a kid from from Thunder Bay who at that point I didn't even consider to be the best one on my team. Um, I think that had been helped a little bit by some of my coaches and, and whatnot. And I had been a little bit, I think, uh, I think I, my confidence was a little bit low. Um, but, you know, after the week or so, I think I definitely wasn't on top of the pile and I never expected to be, but I wasn't on the bottom either. I was kind of mid-table. And so that kind of gave me a lot of a lot of hope and a lot of drive just as I kind of continued on. And uh, I had a couple other experiences after that. But I think that was kind of the moment where I thought, oh, maybe I can have a go with this. Well, there is definitely, I think, going back to what John was saying, the perception of Canadian soccer is not sterling. Um, yeah, not yeah, huge on the world stage. No, no. Uh, I mean, there was a, a, an outcry, and I'm sure you heard of it, when the U.S. men actually lost to Canada for the first time in, I don't know how long, was it like 30? Yeah, I think it was 34. Yeah, 34 30, 40 years, years or something it had like been that, yeah. since the United States men had lost to Canadian men in soccer. And the U.S. women have dominated Canada as well in their matchups. And Canada's women's team is very good. But for the men's side, you know, Canadian soccer, I don't know, when's the last time that Canada made the World Cup? Was it 80? Yeah, it was in 80. Four or eighty six? I think it was. Was I think it was Mexico? It was Mexico. It was I think. Mexico yeah. yeah. So it's been since nineteen eighty six. They've even sent a team to the World Cup. And here in the U S., we were mad that our team didn't qualify for two thousand eighteen, right in Russia. So gives you an idea of where Canadian soccer is regarded internationally. Basically, kind of bottom rung as well. It's so it would be tough. And I'm I'm sure the guys in England, you know, at Reading, were like, well, here comes this kid from Thunder Bay, Ontario, in Canada. You know, how good is he going to be? Yeah, you know how how good can he be? You know, yeah. and so but the, the, you know fighting against that has got to be tough, also from a mindset. I would think going into it, I mean that's 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 got to be almost bigger hill to climb than actually playing the guys on the field. To, no, these guys are not going to regard me real hardly because I'm from Thunder Bay. I'm from a small town in Canada, so they're going to look at me and be like, "Well, we're giving him a shot. We'll see what he can do." But I'm not real optimistic. Yeah, I think I think that's always there, really. When you whenever you're traveling, you're kind of you're going against you know guys who are used to it but at the same time like within Ontario that's kind of how people from the northwestern area are viewed so when we would go to tournaments in Toronto or Mississauga you know we'd kind of be looked down upon because we're all we're from we're from the north you know I mean you guys aren't soccer boys you're hockey boys or things like that right and so I think that sure there was some of that when I went over to England uh, the two times I went for football but or soccer sorry but um 
you know, the, I think the, the, the idea that throughout growing up and playing in, in kind of the bigger cities in, in Ontario, that was already some of the preconceptions. So I think that, that, in a sense, although it wasn't great when we were growing up, for all of us who went down there as kids, I think it helped, you know what I mean? And even it just kind of, it hardens you a little bit and uh, maybe it's a bit of that cold winter uh, attitude from, from up north. But uh, yeah, I think, I think it's always a little bit there that, that idea of having to prove that you're somebody who's somebody from nowhere kind of thing. So you go through 10th grade, you kind of figure out, okay, I think I can go to a higher level on this. And then eventually you end up here. What, what brought you to, to UWS? See, I've been asked this on um, when I've been ho- helping recruits for, uh, for Coach Mooney. Um, my, my recruitment here is, is, is kind of a, a strange one. Um, Perfect. We like strange stories Yeah, here. so when I graduated from high school, my dad and I went to England again, uh, and I was trying to, trying to make it professionally or in some form of professional game. Uh, so we were there for around two months. And uh, I was trying like just below the first professional league in England. Um, and so, you know, with promotion and relegation, and that's how it works in the European style, you can get promoted. So I think if they had been promoted, they would eventually, I think it was two leagues below. Um, so I trialed there and a couple other clubs and I got offered a contract, but I, it wasn't, wasn't the best setup. Um, the team had kind of just been reshuffled new ownership like all the players all the coaching staff had left it was a whole new group kind of talked with my dad and said like look like I don't want to you know sign this contract and then if it doesn't work out within two two months or so I don't want to come home and if I want to play NCAA I can't play NCAA because you know I've, I've signed that professional contract or some sort of contract for pay pay for play so I came back and uh Thunder Bay's got a, a I think it's now called the USL2. It was called PDL before, kind of a, a shoot alongside the NPSL, which uh, the Duluth FC is part of. So I, I coached uh, full-time as an assistant coach for that team, trained with the PDL team to then go play in the summer with them. Um, and then I did part-time university at Lakehead University just to get a couple credits. And throughout that, I was, I was looking at schools uh, in the U.S. Uh, I didn't really look at home um, just because the preconception was uh, was that, you know, I thought U.S. would be, NCAA would be a little bit of a better option. CIS in recent years has actually improved a lot. Uh, it's credit to U Sports and all that they've done. But I got involved with uh, just a recruiting company, NCSA, I believe it's called. And um, I didn't want to go super sell, so you can change a bunch of different characteristics that you're looking for. And um, this UWS popped up on the, on the matches, and uh, I didn't really reach out right away, but then uh, our now strength and conditioning coach, Mitch Wilkinson, who at the time was the assistant coach for the for the men's program, sent me a little email, and I kind of got in touch with him. And through that, Joe got in touch with me and um, kind of exchanged uh, a few months of emails and, and whatnot. And then I came down for a visit. I think it was October 2015. Saw a, co- uh, saw a midweek game, got a tour. And I really I, I fell in love with the group and the and the coaching staff first and foremost. And um, obviously I think that's, that's where the, the desire to come to a program has to be first. Um, I think that you fall in love with the school once you get there. Um, there was another school I was looking at at the time, which was a division two school, Saginaw Valley, and things just didn't kind of formulate. They were looking at a, another player. They only had a couple roster spots left and, uh, you know, coach really made a coach Mooney really made a push and, and I felt wanted, which was something that I hadn't really felt in Thunder Bay at my club and so I, I kind of latched onto it and 
I mean, the rest is is history, as they say. And I, I, I I'm, I'm not only thankful for the opportunity the school has given me, but extremely thankful for the opportunity that Joe Mooney's given me in, in my four years here. And uh, it's a little upsetting that it's all over, but um, certainly, you know, I think that's what makes it special. Is you know, if you stayed here all the time, it wouldn't be a special moment. But um, I don't. I, I, I could thoroughly say it's been a fabulous journey, even if it started a little bit strangely. Those four years really go by in a hurry, oh, don't they? Real quick. I feel like I was just meeting you in the YU. With, I believe your mom was here, yep. and we were talking about ketchup potato chips. I believe. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and why they haven't taken off in not the U.S. That big, you know what? I don't even really like them that much. <laughs> I I like them. They're not my favorite chip. I like them, but it's just odd that they haven't taken off down here. You would think they would. The way they have in yeah. Canada. I mean, just with the way. I mean, we we celebrate ketchup in this country. Well, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so and so. chips, I think a little. Yeah, bit. and right. chips as well. So, so why not ketchup and chips? American I don't passions get it. there, but. At any rate, it, it seems like it was just yesterday when yeah. we were having that conversation and everything, and now here you are, you know, on the cusp of graduation, and you know, it's 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 gone by, but very quickly. But I think if you look back on the four years that you're here, you can see how methodically this program has taken a step each year, and and you're obviously a huge part of that. Well, you know, I, I maybe this is part of my Canadian nature, but I, I like I can't take all the credit, and I don't think all of the seniors can take the credit for it. Like, I think, you know, coming into this program, it was building. Uh, I mean, you look at it the two years before, I think they had lost, uh, or the year before they had lost the Scholastic in the final. I think it was, a, it was a heavy loss, but, like, even in that season, there was some serious momentum that was being built. Um, and to the credit of the senior group that then was the seniors in my first year, I think that they did a fabulous job in kind of setting the tone of what this, this program not even wanted, but needed to become for the for the desire that the group had um, to be at that that level, and I think that since then, yeah, I think uh, our group and you know every group that's come before me, you know the the Jonah Garcias and the John Bucklews and uh, the senior group when I first came, the Gio Rodriguez's and the James Menzies, and you know to name just a few, I think that you know it's really been a process of several years, not just the time that I've been here, but for sure, I think that the rewards of that culture that's been built by the coaching staff and Joe Mooney has been and the, the fruits of that labor have, have slowly been shown in these past couple of years. I tend to agree. Um, you know, I, I go back to uh, they won the WIAC in what year was it? 2013. It was 13 that they yep. won the WIAC and then uh, they were always pushing for a conference title the last few years before the WIAC dissolved in soccer. Um, and, you know, when Oshkosh's program in a way, it kind of created that Okay, well, now we're basically an independent now because there's no, you know, Platteville had a team, um, and Whitewater, Whitewater had a team, yeah, and that was basically it. We, Finlandia came in for a short spell, I think. Right. Uh, but when Oshkosh went away, it kind of left, you know, UWS men's soccer without a home. You know, for for you know, it was it was it was a kind of I think a, a a disappointment for everybody when Oshkosh because Oshkosh had a really solid program and that was one of the things that well yeah they, yeah they, it was. Went to the NCAA tournament. Yeah, they went to the NCAA tournament the year before they dissolved the program. Right, and so um, I remember I walked into Coach Mooney's office and he was he was pretty perplexed by the fact that Oshkosh was losing their program. Um, It's actually probably one of the more disappointed I've seen in a coach with another program being dissolved at another school. It's probably more than one more disappointed I've seen a coach from a rival school saying this is really a bummer. Like I'm really bummed out that Oshkosh's program is going to go away. 
because those games against them were good and 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 competitive. And I, as I recall, when we won the WIAC in thirteen, that was who we beat, wasn't it? Was yep. that? Yeah, that was who we beat for the win. You know, the WIAC that year. So um, it kind of left the program up in the air. At that point, I think that the seeds were already being planted a bit, and then like like Wadi, you just alluded to, um, built it some more when you got into the UMAX. Alaska had kind of built up their end of the spectrum, shall we say? They had been winning the the the, the UMAC consistently just about every year up until we came in, and then you could kind of see it was shifting, but. There was a certain level of expectation, I think, even before we made the NCAA tournament the first time with this program. Right. The team was always going to be competitive right there. What was it going to take to get over the, over the top? And I think it was you guys, you know, the senior class that helped do that at a certain point, was help push them over the top, you know. Because even, I mean, because we didn't get an AQ, winning the WAC didn't get us into the NCAA tournament. So they were still that, let's get to the NCAA tournament. So you get to the final against, um, you know, St. Scholastica the year before you come, losing the final to a really good Scholastica team. That was one of the better teams I've seen them have. Yeah, very fabulous team. Yeah, they were a really good team because a lot of those guys ended up actually playing for Duluth FC. Yeah. So I ended up getting to know them a little bit better, those guys. Um, and then taking the step, you know, the next step and getting to the NCAA tournament the next, you know, three, the last final three years of your career, losing in penalties the following year. And then now went beating them three straight times in the UMAC tournament title game, you could see the progression was going pretty steadily up for a while. Yeah. You know, I mean, it wasn't. Uh, you know, progressions are not always linear, but uh, I, I feel like in this case it was pretty linear. Like you know, it, it started in thirteen, I think, with the WAC title. Then you know, you move into the UMAC, uh, facing Glasgow twice in the title game, not getting over the hump against them, losing one game in regulation time, then losing in penalties, and then the next year finally beating them in penalties, and then the, the, the following two years beating them in regulation, and then going to the NCAA tournament and winning a game. Right. So the progression has been, you know, pretty steadily up, and I think, but I think it's your guys' group and, and you especially that are, you know, should get a lot of the credit for that. Well, thank you. I'm, 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 I'm... I'm extremely honored that that you know that that's how people view me. I think I would never have, I don't think I would have expected it, or it's not necessarily a recognition that I, I would want. But you know, I, I'm extremely honored to have that recognition. And, you know, so thank you guys for, you know, putting that on me. And you know, but I can't take all the credit. You know, there's there's I think seven other guys alongside me, or six or seven other guys alongside me. Sorry, you boys. Um, not good in math. Math's not my strong suit. But. Uh, you know, so it has just, to be. You're an academic all American now. <laughs> I'm not a math major. I'm not a math major. But uh, you know, I think there's there's a there's a lot of guys out there that have helped out, and you know, learning from from guys above me. So it's a it's a big it's a team effort to coin the the corny phrase. But one of the questions that I always ask, or I wanted to ask, and I didn't get a chance to ask Coach Mooney because he has a different perspective of being a coach. What are those Scholastica rivalry games like for you guys? Because those are the the, uh, the sporting events that I cover during a year. Some of you guys match up with Scholastica are always highly entertaining. Mm-hmm. I think John would agree. I mean, they're oh, they're they're fun games. Yeah, they're, they're usually pretty pretty full, tight, full blooded. Yeah, they're affairs, full blooded. A lot of cards. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's some oddities that happen. I mean, this year's uh, UMAC title game had some very strange occurrences. <laughs> um, <laughs> but. What's it like as a as a player? Because I know that the what's interesting is that the two teams really go after each other on the field, but a lot of these guys on both teams really know each other really well off the field as well. Yeah, and hang out and pal around a little bit together. Some of them. So it, it's a it's 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 kind of like in a ways it's almost like an inner family kind of kind of deal, especially with Duluth FC because there's so much back and forth between UWS and CSS in that regard. And a lot of these guys, I mean, I've I've seen you guys, you know, in, uh, you know, socializing with them at at various points. So. What's it been like to play in that rivalry for four years? Well, I think it's changed, and I think that part of that is with, you know, the changing of the tides, if you want to put it that way, of, you know, who's kind of on top. 
um, you know, I can very firmly state that in my first year we went into those games, you know, kind of being like, yeah, we're the underdog. We're going to go in here and we're just got to, you know, we got to be dogged and determined. Whereas, you know, it's kind of evolved over time, um, over four years. And so, um, I mean, I don't know if I'll say anything that different than coach because I, uh, I think we're fairly like-minded in the way we think about things. But, you know, for me, I find that I've, I've got to just take it as, as any other game because if you do start taking it as a rivalry game, then your emotions, everything else just gets thrown out of proportion. And so I think you lose touch with the, the end objective, which is to just get another win, right? And so for me, any time, whether it's been growing up and playing rivals or even especially, you know, having this rival for four years, I think it's been the key to it has just been taking it in the last couple of years at just any other game, which is difficult because everybody knows it's not, right? It right. is a rivalry. It's yeah. a grudge game. And yeah. so that's why crazy things happen in it, right? There's emotions running high. But I think if you look at individuals who, you know, come those game times perform, I think it's those individuals who are able to just take it as any other game, but with the drive knowing that it is a rivalry game, something along those lines. No, I mean the, the 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 feeling around the pitch on those games for me has always been pretty darn electric. I mean, because their fans are loud and boisterous, our fans are loud and boisterous, especially for that particular matchup. And so it gets to be a really interesting, uh, you know, kind of it's almost like our own little mini derby. Yeah, derby oh, as they would sure call it's it. A derby, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um, for people who don't know what that term means. It's when you have rivals play each other. It's it's it's. It goes back to if you go to the biggest derby that there is, and it really isn't a derby. I mean, it's a huge rivalry, but Real Madrid and FC Barcelona, which has been probably world soccer, club soccer's biggest rivalry. But if you go back to some of the true derbies, you go back to Manchester United and Manchester City is a true one. I'll and make a I'll make a little plug here for Danny Kearns. I think the biggest rivalry out there is Glasgow Celtic and Rangers. Yeah, I that's think another that's the big biggest one. one. I mean, generally speaking, it's for it's for teams who are who are incredibly close together. Like Matt said, Barcelona and and Real Madrid is is kind of an exception to that, but generally it's you know the two Manchester teams you know separated by a couple kilometers or miles right. I guess. But Their uh, stadiums are literally than spitting distance of each other. Yeah, it's Liverpool and Everton, you know the Merseyside derby, and then you've got the the Glasgow derby, which is I think if if I could make a suggestion for any of you guys to go to a game, and I've never been to it, but go to a Celtic Rangers game and match, and that is just I've heard it's otherworldly. Yeah, and the, I mean, and it gets extremely personal. Between the, yeah. the, I mean, I imagine yeah, that, I mean, that one. They, that one is a lot of. There's also the Protestant versus Catholic. That's got a lot of religious angle in that one, yeah. and so you're going beyond the game yeah. itself, and now it becomes into Protestant versus Catholic. Yep. Yeah, and oh, so oh, it boy. really gets. Oh, it's yeah. It's I mean, there was an incident that happened, I think, just not that long ago in that regard. Uh, and because I, I, I talked to uh, Josh Hurd, who is a former UWS goaltender, who's also Scottish. I haven't talked to Scott Wilson about it. Maybe I'll bring it up to him. But Danny Kearns brought it up, and he said it, it. It. I mean, it's they have to have police. I mean, there was a picture I remember in Sports Illustrated about that particular derby, where they had literally the police force was standing on each aisle. They had an officer on each aisle, and it was Celtic fans on one side and Rangers fans on the other. Yeah. And it was. I mean, they were. I mean, they those those police were ready to go at a moment's notice. I mean, you could tell that looks on their faces, and the fans were sitting there like just. I mean, the tension there. Is crazy, and I, I I don't know if there's another kind of rivalry quite like that one yeah. in terms, and that that's a good example. I'm glad you brought that yeah. one up because I it goes so far yeah. beyond, you know, I just a soccer game. And Americans think they're 
they're passionate because they're part of the Yankees Red Sox rivalry. Right, yeah, you know, exactly. Or the Packers and the Bears. It's like that, that's nothing. Well, yeah, yeah the, compared the, to this. Well, the big yeah, thing yeah. for me too is you look at the like you brought up baseball the first one there and like yeah, I mean it's a huge rivalry and everything of like that. And no disrespect to to the MLB or to the baseball, but you look at it, right? And there's really there's no Physical interactions between the players, right? right? You're tossing a ball from I don't even know how far a mound is. That sixty feet, how, six sixty inches, feet, six inches, right? So whereas you go into a full-blooded Rangers versus Celtic match or any Derby match, right? A, a CSS UWS match, and you're hitting each other, you're going into each other every second of the game, right? And so the passion comes out in every aspect of the game, right? So I feel like it's a little bit more. How do how do I want to put this? Close, in, it's a little bit more like close encounters, and in, in terms of the passion that you you witness, right? Whereas, I think it's some of the North American sports that passion is kind of distanced from the nature of the sport. Not necessarily football or hockey or even basketball to an extent, but like baseball, when there's those huge rivalries, I find it's kind of like that rivalry or that passion is distances distance because of the nature of the sport, right? So, um, yeah, I would definitely say though that CSS and the I think that's kind of how I view it is. It's a bit like a derby, as Matt would say. No, and it, it, it shadows. I, I actually watched a documentary, and this is happenstance. Speaking of Celtics, I watched the uh, the three for thirty on the Celtics Lakers rivalry, which is close to that. I mean, in the eighties, it was nasty between those right, two, yeah. and it was great to watch it. But mm-hmm. I mean, it was the same idea. It was this, you know, them versus us, you know, mentality from either side, and those games. I mean, I've forgotten some of the stuff that went on in those games, and it was. I mean, it's it it can get really. I mean, not so much in the stands, you know, like you see with Rangers and Celtic, but it, it is, yeah. it can get there, you know. And you add on top, usually Rangers and Celtics used to fight for the Scottish title as well. It wasn't just that they were, you know, so there, I mean, there was all kinds of religious stuff. There was, you know, cultural things going on there. There was also standings, you know, I mean, they were fighting for the title usually back when it really got heated, when it started to get really heated. Yeah. Uh, fell off a little bit when Rangers got you know regu- regu- uh, relegated relegated yeah. a couple different times and then yeah. came back up. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean it, it it was full blooded to say the least, and it spilled out in the in the bleachers quite a bit as well. Which, like I said, I <laughs> I couldn't imagine being at a sporting event and just having a brawl break out in the stands. Well, that's the thing is like you look on like ESPN or you know some of those websites and or Instagram pages and there'll be like a football game and there'll be a couple of fans that fight and it's huge news whereas like that happens and I've been to quite a few uh English soccer EPL games, games EPL yeah. games and championship games and that's a that's a regular occurrence you've got you've got people who <laughs> that's, who, that's crazy you've got me. people who go to the games solely for the fight <laughs> no. solely for the fight but we used to call them soccer hooligans yeah yeah i mean that's yeah. Skinheads, yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, well, and there is, there's, there's races. I mean, the the, the atmosphere is not good in a lot, and it, 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 no, it's unfortunate. If, if yeah. A lot of this has a religious element yeah. to it. I mean, it's it's going to lead to. Well, and I think like some you, of those things. I think the the way you can kind of compare it is like, since my four years here, like I can see that American football is like a religion, right? It's on Sundays. Everybody watches it. Everybody puts on the jersey, right? Whereas like. In Europe and England, especially, especially since I have a, have a connection there, like f- soccer is religion, right? Most people are working their everyday lives to pay for their season ticket, right? They go to the they go to the games, and that's where they're they get out their weekly emotions, right? And so, it's such a passion that you know I never saw at home in hockey. Right now, that's probably because I'm not I wasn't involved in it, but I think that's part of it that drew drew to me, right? Is you could just 
watching the games as a kid, you could just hear it through the through the speakers. Like you could just hear the fans being in it, and it's not like they're just against the the opposition. Like if you're if you're a player and you're not performing, they'll tell you because they're the ones who are paying for you to be there, right? right. And so that's it's such a unique kind of experience because you look at a lot of like American sports and the teams in a sense are owned by the league, right? Whereas in yeah, they have owners, but generally speaking, they're owned by that league, right? Whereas you look at these other leagues and you screw things up financially, you're going down. You're, you're like like Matt just brought up a couple moments ago, like Rangers. I think historically they're like top with Celtic in terms of titles and mismanaged funds and they drop down to like the third division of Scottish football and they yep. got or fourth and they've got to make their way back up from there. So it's 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 kind of a religion just like football is. It's just, you know, there's a little bit of a I think there's some heightened expectations. Well and the whole atmosphere of singing and chanting and yep. stuff like that is is very unique to to world soccer. Um, you know, and I, I think it's picking up a little bit in US. Uh I think teams, you know, is I mean, because even at you guys games with Saint Scholastica um, there isn't necessarily singing, but there are, you know, there are, you know, chants and stuff that sometimes yeah. will break out. Um, but yeah, European soccer is, it's crazy because of how passionate it is. It's almost a, a whole different game going on in the stands than there is actually on the actual field yeah. between the two sides. And it, it, it's, it's, it's very unique. You, you don't see that really anywhere. I mean, you'll get usually like in, in uh, hockey or basketball or even football, you'll get one chant that the whole place is kind of... But it's ongoing in soccer. They'll they'll sing one song for five minutes and then they'll change up to a completely different one. If a new player comes into the game that they really like, they'll do a chant for for said player or they'll sing a song about said player. I mean, it's very, it's it's unique. You, you just, it's 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 not something that you see in American sports very often. Is that where your team gets some of its passion when the group attends other teams' events? Because volleyball, basketball. You know when men's the men's there. soccer team is in the building because you guys are loud and you chant and you you do the little skits during timeouts and everything. <laughs> is that where some of this comes from? Yeah, I think you know. I think anytime you become in, so ingrained in a sport, right? I think you that culture of the sport becomes kind of who you are, right? And so, like I would, I would be, I would put it put it out there that I think that our team is probably one of the more outgoing teams on campus. Oh, right? hands down, hands down, yeah. and so. I think that is partly the nature of the sport, right? There's such a connection between fans and players, right? That I think when we go to a game that's another sport, I think we kind of expect it to be like that. And so when it's not, we're going to make it, we're going to make it that way. Right. So, um, I mean, we were a little upset that we couldn't bring the drum to the volleyball game this year, but uh, <laughs> you know, I think you know. I mean, and, and you look at it from a, a, a bigger. We were upset you couldn't bring the drum. Oh, too. I know, right? It's a, <laughs> right it's, a it's an, it's a, it's an atmosphere builder. But that's the thing, right? Like you look at it from a collegiate sports point of view, and like who doesn't want to spend four years having their games be electric, right? Right. So, yeah, there's some games where we don't have a ton of people out. I mean, that's what happens when you're playing in November or late October and it's freezing cold and it's sleeting rain, right? But you know, I w- if I was a volleyball player, I would l- I would love it if my the opposition I was playing was terrified of our fans because just the noise. Not necessarily that it, you know they're being offensive or they're being you know pushy towards them, but it's just that hum and that noise and that buzz. No pun intended, is there right? And so I think it not only is just such a an experience for a student athlete and a student if you're at the games, but I think it's something that you know can create a huge advantage, right? Well, yeah, everybody like like you said, John. Everybody knows the men's soccer has arrived because you guys come in force. 
Um, you just sit in the front well, row. And you yeah. announce your presence, too. You don't come in <laughs> quietly as a group and just kind of take your seat and wait for something to happen. I mean, the second you guys walk through the door, you're making noise. So you, you, you announce your presence when you get there. Uh, there's I mean, there's no, yeah, no I secret. Mean, well, there's I mean, about 20 as, of them, and they, yeah. yeah. <laughs> as I say to other people, I think going around, going through life normally is a little bit boring, right? To be a little bit different is a little bit more exciting, right? What was really cool this year for me doing, because I did the Saints Classic uh, volleyball match, which was a great match. I uh, went four. All the sites were tight. But they their men's soccer players showed up, and, and you guys were there. <laughs> yeah. And watching this complex dance when the teams were switching ends of, of <laughs> the court during the actual broadcast was was hilarious to me. I, I, we went to commercial break, and I'm looking, and their guys now are over here, and then you guys circled behind me and went on my right. And then in between sets, they milled over here, and then you guys were like doing this little complex dance of your own, trying to figure out what, okay, who's going to stake out what space here for this set? Trying to gain the upper hand. Yeah, right. it was right. it was very interesting. Like I said, it was almost like another game within the game, <laughs> really, yeah. seeing that. And I know you were there, and you saw it as well. So. It, <laughs> I was just waiting for something to happen. Oh, I was waiting for something to kick off. <laughs> I was waiting I was for waiting. something to happen because yeah. there was there was enough vitriol going back and forth. And yeah, it's like, it was, okay, this is. But it was hilarious it, to watch. It spilled the over to volleyball now. What's going to happen here? <laughs> yeah, it was. I, and Fred I don't see all for keeping it under control. That was great, yeah. but I it, it, was, it was a fun atmosphere. Right. I never got a chance to ask actually Lynn and the volleyball players how they if they even noticed it, but it was very like. It, I mean, it was loud in there that night, and it, it made it a lot of fun for me because I'm I'm busy looking around. And I'm saying, okay, now where is everybody going to go now? Because of course, volleyball is unique in the sense that you change benches as well as sides of the court. Right. And so when that happened, I was almost so okay. The teams are changing, and now I I when I went to break and I said we're going to come back for the start of whatever set, and I I literally turned and was going to see where you guys were going to position yourselves as vis-a-vis their guys. It was really it was it was kind of funny. It was it was this complex dance that went on and I I I hope we see more of that. But another point I want to touch on is also the fact and I think this also factors in is the fact you guys are truly an international team. You've got so yeah. many guys, I mean from Sweden, from Brazil, from, you know, Spain in the past. Uh, from like, you know, a person like yourself from Canada. I mean, there are guys spread all over the place, two guys from Scotland. Uh, you know, it's a team that is literally very international. I think that that also factors into how they approach going to games as well. And so that kind of comes over because world soccer, it's not just soccer in Europe where you get that chanting and stuff. You get it in Brazil. You get it in Argentina. You get it anywhere you go on the globe for soccer game. And so the fact that they all brought that together is kind of cool. Yeah, for sure. So the senior year is done. A laundry list of, of honors, player of the year, all region, academic all American, like you mentioned, that was just announced here today. So, congratulations on that. Yeah, but thank you very much. You know, we mentioned at the very beginning, you're on the cusp of graduation. What's next for Eric Watson? Well, you know, I, questions come up quite a bit uh, this season and this semester, especially with it being my last one. Um, well, I I think I've I've, I've kind of haven't hit it throughout my time while I've been here. Is I, I want to keep playing as long as I can. Um, and I was always worried coming here because it's a Division three school, and that's kind of the conception. Oh, Division three is Division three, but you know, I think throughout my time here, I've really noticed that you know, divisions are just kind of a a category, and really doesn't have a huge um, say on the quality that's within it. So uh, I feel like I owe it to myself, and I know that if I don't try and play, I'm going to the age of twenty eight, thirty, and I haven't that I'll, I'll be quite upset with myself and, you know, shoulda, coulda, woulda. So uh, my point of view is, you know, my, uh, 
as you stated, my my GPA is high enough that should I decide to go in any master's program, I think that uh, you know, I'll, I'll be able to get into whatever I choose. I got a couple ideas, but um, I feel like I owe it to myself. I've gotten to a, a good enough technical ability. Um, obviously, you can always improve and, and learn tactically as well, um, but physically as well. I think you know, keep building on that. But I feel like I've gotten to myself a high enough physical standard to to try and at least have a go. You know, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But you know, I think part of the joy of uh, of the whole sport is you know is that pursuit of it. So uh, I think that's that's kind of where I'm at right now. I've I've already I talked to my parents about this many years ago, and um, you know I look at my cousins who are on national development centers for skiing, and you know they they don't go to school because it's a full time gig. And so for me to now have that um, that undergraduate degree kind of allows me now to have that ability to go and chase the dream a little bit. So. Um, that's what I'm going to look to be doing. Um, obviously some of that now has to become reality in terms of planning and all that, which couldn't be done during season because of the whole eligibility rules yep. and whatnot. Um, so some of that will be, uh, happening after Christmas, especially with, you know, big, big, uh, term papers and, and big projects going on. But, um, you know, I'll see what's, what's going on in this continent and fortunate enough because my dad's from England that I have that British passport, you know, uh, I, I can probably see that at some point that might have to be a, a venture and going over overseas and seeing what's over there just because there's a lot more options. But, um, yeah, you know, the uncertainty is what makes it exciting and we'll see what comes up. I look forward to having the chance to write the press release for when Eric Watson signs his professional contract and we, <laughs> we know where we're going to have to tune in to, to follow you playing next year. I look forward to that day. Perfect. Thanks, but in guys. the meantime, it's been a, an absolute pleasure watching you play for four years and, I'm going to miss number 14 on the on the pitch next year, that's for sure. Ah, thanks, guys. It's been a pleasure. He's Eric Watson, the all-time leading scorer in the history of the Yellow Jacket men's soccer program. We'll take a time out and come back with more of the Eye of the Swarm right after this. Sports broadcasts on 91.3 FM are made possible in part by Catholic Charities Bureau, the social ministry of the Diocese of Superior, and their affiliate program, the Challenge Center. The Challenge Center serves individuals with disabilities throughout Douglas County and beyond, including operating Bay Produce in Superior. Info about the Challenge Center programs and Bay Produce is at challenge-center.org. Catholic Charities Bureau, 100 years of serving people in need. We're back on the Eye of the Swarm, and uh, we've got a... Not the busiest schedule in the no. world here coming up, but uh, still a few teams in action this weekend. So who do we got? Well, uh, you know, finals are coming up. So like you said, everybody's thinning out their schedule a little bit. Uh, women's hockey is off entirely, so that's nice because they're getting ready, like I said, for finals, as is everybody else. Um, but uh, as far as games this week, men's basketball. They play two games this week. Both of them in conference play, so they open up UMAC conference action. Wednesday, December 4th at Northland College. That'll be a doubleheader, men and women. That'll be yesterday for those of you yeah, those are Yeah, exactly. Uh, 5.15 pregame on the radio. I'll be on the radio with those games at the Kennedy Center in Ashland. And then on Saturday, December 7th, otherwise known as Pearl Harbor Day, I suppose, for those of you who know your history. Uh, they'll be on the road at North Central, 3 p.m., the opening uh, tip of that contest. So men's basketball with a pair of conference games this week. Women's basketball with the same schedule. Different start times, however. They're at Northland again on Wednesday. 7.15 p.m., the opening tip there, 7 p.m. I'll be on with the pregame show. And then on Saturday, they are also at North Central, 4.45, the opening tip there. Women's hockey, as we mentioned, is off until 
I, I don't even look that far ahead. I think they're off at least this week. Yeah, I didn't go they'll, that they'll far be ahead. back next weekend. Are they back next weekend? Yeah. Okay. And then rounding out the schedule for the week is men's hockey. Uh, they're on the road this weekend. More road trip for you. Boy, More you're, road trip. Yeah, you're uh, rounding up the uh, the frequent driver miles here. <laughs> I don't even call them frequent flyer. They're frequent driver miles. I'm not driving, though, so it's like a fr- frequent. Frequent riding miles? <laughs> yeah, bus riding pass, Bus I riding guess. miles? Like, oh, Friday, December 6th, they're at River, UW River Falls, 7 p.m. The opening face out there. Mr. Garber will be on with the pregame starting at 6.40. And then on Saturday, they're also on the road to one of your favorite buildings, I know, John. The Finetti Community Center. <laughs> In Menominee, Wisconsin, on UW Stout at 7 p.m. You'll be face off there, 6.40 again, the pregame against the Blue Devils. That'll be an interesting I, – I I always have to check in with you and see how you feel about going down the stout because I know how you feel about that building. <laughs> that it's probably it's, it's like playing in a favorite. freezer. Yeah, It's not my favorite. Yeah, it's like a meat freezer in there. It's cold. It's better than it used to be though, right? Is no, it, not really. No, not really? Not really. I, I mean, it's better than it was when I played okay. because they had natural ice back then. So Really? Yeah. They, they didn't have an ice plant there. It was natural ice. So it was really cold. I bet. I was about to say. Yeah, that's crazy. If it wasn't cold enough, they would crank the garage doors because there's a garage door on each end of the building because it's at the fairgrounds and they use it for the county fair there. So they don't crank open the garage doors on either end and, oh, boy, <laughs> would you get. Oh, I bet. Yeah, that way. You would get some frigid temperatures in oh, there. Oh, I bet. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's so, like the ice bowl. <laughs> yeah. So thankfully they have artificial ice now, so it's not as cold, okay. but it's still going to be chilly in there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, have fun. I'll, I will. I'll be thinking of you. I will. I'll find my indoor perch. Just, yeah. You know, hopefully we'll have uh, some of the snow cleared by the time you get back. Yeah, maybe. Maybe <laughs> not. Maybe it'll maybe, snow again. I don't know. Who <laughs> I'd hate to think what's going to happen if we do get any more snow at this point. So. Uh, but that's what's coming up this week for the Yellow Jackets. Sounds good. And with that. We that, say goodbye. That's a wrap. Yeah, we're, that's a wrap. We'd like to thank our engineer here in the studio, Elliot Swear. He's the big sound, Matt Johnson. I'm John Garver. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Eye of the Swarm, sponsored by National Bank of Commerce.